Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in his plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. From Ephesians chapter 1, this is a a prayer that the Apostle Paul uh, prayed for the Ephesian church. It's recorded in scripture, which means it applies to every Christian in every generation And we know that it's the will of God because it's written in the Bible. So we can uh, can be confidently assured that this is God's will for our lives. Uh, So Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 15, it says, Wherefore I also, Paul, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, so he knows that they're saved, he doesn't pray this for unbelievers, and your love for all the saints... I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And now he tells them what he prays for them in private. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And so a spirit of wisdom is a spirit of understanding, a spirit of uh, good judgment, a spirit of knowing uh, what to do with the information that you have. And, and he, he wants that unto a revelation of knowing God. So ultimately, that, that everything that we have wisdom for would bring us more intimately uh, connected with God, that there would be a communion with him, that we would really know him, not know about him, uh, not just be saved, not have a title, but that we'd really know God intimately. And then he goes on in verse 18, and he says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. So these are eyes that are not physical. You can't define what color they are uh, or even um, go to an ophthalmologist and find out the measurement of how good your vision is because these are invisible eyes. Uh, they're spiritual eyes. They're figurative, and, and they're an eye. They're, it's an eye that has understanding, so an eye that really comprehends, that can understand spiritual things, that can understand invisible things, um, that you would have vision, you could say, because you, you know, spiritual eyes have spiritual vision, so that you would have vision, vision for your life, vision for, for God, vision for his kingdom, vision for his purpose, vision for his ways, to be able to see all of that, you know, to have a vision, of the invisible things. And then he says, and that you may know. So now this is not just what you can see, but now this is what you can know. He says that you may know. That, and, and when you know something, you know that you know it. And this is what his prayer is for us, is that we would know what is the hope of his calling. Now, we can maybe define that. You know, we might have knowledge, and we could say, okay, we're going to heaven. Uh, We've been saved from our sins. We're not going to hell. And, you know, we could define it in those elementary, basic ways. But what Paul's asking for is something much deeper. He's saying that you may know the hope of his calling, the full scope, that you, with a full vision, really understanding what it means to belong to him, that you might know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Okay, is that all up there? Yeah. His inheritance in the saints. Now, we are the saints. If you're saved, then that means that you're sanctified, which is where we get the word saint. And so if you belong to God, you are a saint. And what Paul is praying, in a sense, is that you would understand, that you would have a vision, that you would fully know what the glory is of God's people. 
that you would really comprehend that and understand the glory of it. Now, we look at each other, and we see the outward, and there ain't that much glory in what we see in the outward. But what God sees when he looks at his own, he sees on the inside, and what he sees is glory, and he sees it to a level that it was worth sending his son to die on a cross and bleed out on the ground and be abandoned and crucified in order to redeem us. So he sees something about us that we don't see about us. He knows something that we don't know. And what Paul is praying is that we would know what is the hope of his calling and what that glory is, that we would have a vision for it and that we might have a spirit of wisdom. And we know that that's going to come from knowing him because God's the one that can ultimately reveal uh, that to us. And so that's the scripture that I want to lead in with this morning. Now, I want to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 33, verses 13 through 16. Now, this is a reading, uh, a passage that I read this week while I was going through uh, my one-year Bible devotion. And it probably takes me about two years to go through a one-year Bible devotion because I don't do it every day. And sometimes uh, one, one uh, day's worth will take me several days because I don't rush just to say that I did it, you know. And so uh, I read this this week, and it's a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 33. You devil. Frozen. Deuteronomy chapter 33. It starts in verse 13. I can't believe this. It's not you. It's it's uh, it's this it's this wretched technological demonic <laughs> thing. All right, Deuteronomy thirty-three, verse thirteen. The the passage, the context of the passage is um, Moses is about to leave. He's been leading the children of Israel, and this is his final blessing that he pronounces, a prophecy, really, that he pronounces over the 12 tribes, and he speaks to each one. And they're about to go into the promised land, and so he's setting them up, and he speaks to the tribe of Joseph. And I just want to read you uh, what Moses says concerning the tribe of Joseph in blessing and prophesying over their future. It says that of Joseph, he said, Blessed of the Lord be his land, for the precious things of heaven, for the dew and for the deep that coucheth beneath, And for the precious fruits brought forth by the sun, and for the precious things put forth by the moon, and for the chief things of the ancient mountains, and for the precious things of the lasting hills, and for the precious things of the earth and fullness thereof, and for the good will of him that dwelt in the bush, let the blessing come upon the top of the head of him that was separated from his brothers. And so Moses basically speaks to Joseph concerning his land specifically. And he says concerning his land that what you will ob- obtain is the precious things of heaven, the precious things of earth, and then he says the precious things of the sun and the precious things of the moon, the precious things of the ancient mountains, that's speaking of something as of old, right, and of the hills. And, and that's basically the end of what he says. His blessing to Joseph is exclusively concerning his land. Now, the reason why I share that with you and why that struck out 
to me is because this week I read an article that was published a little bit earlier this year, and this is the title of the article. It's that Israeli firm unearths a gemstone with mineral mix previously only found in space. And then it goes on to say that an Israeli mining company has announced that a new type of mineral it found in the country's northern Carmel mountain range and which has a chemical composition previously only found in outer space was last week formally recognized by the International Mineralogical Association. The article goes on to describe it. But it finishes by saying that it plans on marketing the rock, but with the size of deposits unclear, geologist David Bresson writes in Forbes, caramelized gemstones, which is what they're calling it for now, could possibly become more expensive than diamonds. Now, when I read that, it brought back to mind the passage that I read concerning what God said about the tribe of Joseph in the land concerning their inheritance. And that God had spoken to them before they ever set foot in the land, that in the land, and specifically in Joseph's portion of the land, there were precious things from the heavens and from the moon that were there in the ancient mountains, the precious things of the ancient mountains. God told them ahead of time that he had tucked things into their inheritance that were of value and that were precious and that were rare. And what we found is that 4,000 years after they came into the land, exactly what God said was there has finally been unearthed and discovered. A glory that was unknown, that was tucked into an inheritance that was given to them by God, previously unknown, has now been unearthed on the outer crust of human history, way, way, way into the future. Now, the reason all of that interests me, the fact that it was found, the fact that God said it, is because of one more factor, and it's found in Joshua chapter 17. And you'll have to turn there because technology is failing us this morning. God doesn't fail us, but technology fails us. In Joshua chapter 17... It says this, in verse, beginning in verse 14. The book of Joshua, essentially what it does is it highlights the distribution of the land. First they took it, and then they distributed it. The first half of Joshua is essentially the, uh, the, the taking of the land from the Canaanites, and then the second half is the distribution and the borders for the tribes. And so Joshua drew up the borders, and he gave the people their lands, and, and, and one tribe, one tribe of the 12 tribes came back to Joshua with a little bit of feedback. That's polite for saying they complained. <laughs> they complained. And I want you to hear the complaint that the tribe of Joseph, specifically, the only tribe that complained, the only tribe that wasn't satisfied, I want you to hear what they said to Joshua, beginning in verse 14 of chapter 17 of Joshua. It says that the children of Joseph spoke unto Joshua, saying, Why have you given me but one lot and one portion to inherit, seeing I'm a great people, for as much as the Lord has blessed me hitherto? And Joshua answered them, If you are a great people, 
Then get up to the wood country and cut down for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites and the giants if Mount Ephraim be too narrow. In other words, what he's saying, if you want more territory, go get it. If you're not satisfied with the usability of your land, then go make it usable. Go find what God has given to you and do something with it. Discover and develop. That's what God, through Joshua, is saying to a discontented tribe. You're not happy with what you got? Discover and develop. That's what he says. And so the children of Joseph said, they continue their complaint. They're not happy with the response. The hill is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites that dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron. There's, it's too hard for us. The government restrictions aren't going to allow us to do what we want to do. They have chariots of iron. We don't have the resources that it takes to do something with what we've got. We're inhibited. There's barriers. It says they have chariots of iron, both they and they who are of Bethshean and her towns, and they who are of the valley of Jezreel. And so Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph even to Ephraim and to Manasseh, saying, you are a great people. Now listen to that pronouncement. He says, you are a great people and you have great power. Only, or I'm sorry, you shall not have one lot only, but the mountain shall be thine for it is a wood and you shall cut it down. Now that didn't really get fulfilled until a couple days ago. (laughs) you shall cut it down and the outgoings of it shall be thine. That is what comes out of it will be yours. What is in the mountain will be yours for you shall drive out the Canaanites though they have chariots of iron and though they be strong. Now they never did that in their immediate future or even further on in. Joshua's word came to pass, they did. Now, what's amazing is that where this gemstone was discovered was in the northwestern territory of Manasseh, which was of the sons of Joseph, in the very place that God said that there was hidden treasure, where there was something under the surface that could not be immediately seen, that it was in fact there. Now, what amazes me is that Joseph, of all the tribes, complained about an inheritance that was actually more glorious than what all of the other areas inherited, or at least it had a glory that was different or unique. Now, the tribe of Joseph made three repeatable errors, three mistakes that can be made by any person, any generation, any tribe. Here were the errors that they made. The first error is that they didn't believe God that what was being given to them was precious. They didn't believe God. God said concerning the promised land that it was a good land, that it was a land that flowed with milk and honey, that it was above all lands. That's what God said. God said through Moses to the tribes that it was precious, specifically to Joseph. He said, it is precious. This is a precious promise that I'm giving to you, this land that that I'm giving. And their error was that they didn't believe him. They thought, they looked at it at face value, they compared the surface substance with what they saw in the other tribes, and by comparing themselves with someone else in things they could see, they didn't believe God that there was more under the surface where they couldn't see. And so their first error is that they didn't believe God that they were precious. The second mistake, the error that they made, is that they wanted it handed to them. They believed that any good that was going to come into their life was somehow going to come from the realm of men. That's why they went to Joshua and complained. 
They said, Joshua, you're the king. You have authority to reassign the borders and change things around the way you want to. And so we're not happy with what we've got. And so we want you to do something about it. Make a law. Change the laws. Do something that's going to remove our natural restrictions and enhance our natural advantages. We want you to do it for us. And he was looking, they were looking to man as though somehow man was going to make them, their, their, their situation better or, or enhance something else. That was their second error. And then here was the third error that the tribe of Joseph made is that they weren't willing to do the hard work. When what was given to them was going to take a shovel and not simply a bucket to pick up what was already exposed, they didn't want to do that. They didn't want to dig out and find out what is the glory. They didn't want to work. They didn't want to do anything. They didn't want any action. They just wanted uh, uh, handed to them. It was going to be harder than they thought to experience what was theirs. And so they complained about it rather than doing something about it. I want to tell you some truth about you now. That's concerning the tribe of uh, Joseph, but I want to tell you some truth about you and some truth about me. I want to tell you today that you were made in the image of God and that you were made by God. And I want you to just think about what that means, that you were made by God and that you were made in the image of God. That means that the same God that created the world and the universe and the heavens, which is a very, 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 very small fraction of who he is and represents a small fraction of what he can do, that same God that is infinitely indescribable and undefinable, that God made you. And the Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are uniquely made in the image of God. And what that means is that you were created with a capacity and an ability and a potential that you have no idea what it is. Because if you were made in the image of a God who has no capacity, then that means that you in some way have no capacity. That means that you are limitless in your abilities in some degree. And we know that to be true concerning a soul, concerning a mind, that it can be filled and filled and filled and filled and filled and filled and filled, and it has an unlimited capacity to experience, to understand, to comprehend, and to live. We've been made in the image of God in that way. Psalm 139, verse 14 and I'm going to show bitterness towards technology every time I have to turn a page this morning. <laughs> Psalm 139, verse 14, David says this, and I want you to, if you can't turn there fast enough, don't miss these words. David says, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows right well. I might not know the depths, but I know that this is deep. He says, my substance, speaking of the inner parts, was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and curiously fashioned in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, when it, before I was complete, and in your book all my days were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. You, in other words, he's saying, you understand everything that's in me, and you understand everything that's going to happen to me. And then he says in verse 17, How precious also are your thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Now think about that for a minute. That's a, now that's an impossible number to comprehend, the grains of sand. But essentially what, what, what David is realizing is he is understanding. 
He is communicating, and what God is expressing is that it is possible for God to have more thoughts about one individual human life than the grains of sand that exist in the world in its capacity. That's a massive capacity. Now, David probably could, he, I know, he could barely scratch the surface of what that meant. But he realized the truth of it, and by the Spirit of God, he communicated it to you and I. Is that we were made by God in his image, and thus the depths of what's in us is unsearchable. Not one human has ever comprehended what, what we are. We don't know what we are. Even David said in another place, he said, What is man that you're mindful of him, or the son of man? He didn't even know. It's Psalm 8. He goes, What is man? We don't even know. But we do know we've been made in the image of God. What else we know? Here's another truth about yourself is that you are completely unique and individual. You ever notice that no two people have the same face? No two people have the same voice? No two people have the same fingerprint? Not the same personality? No two people have the same exact combination of abilities and skills? There's not two. There's not two. Not even identical twins. There's not two that are exactly alike. And I ask you this question. If you look, if you talk, if you are unique from everyone else, then why would we think for one minute that we can't do something or become something that's completely unique from everyone else? Why do we think so small as to think that we can only be what someone else has already been or what someone else tells us is our potential? Why do we think that? Why do we think that small? We're completely unique. And here's another truth about yourself, is that there are some precious things hidden inside of you, things that you don't even understand or know, and things that are unique only to you. Just like the the land that God gave to Joseph, and he said that there are some precious things in there that have never been seen anywhere else. There are some precious things in you that God has placed there, seeds that are in you that are in nobody else. God has placed them inside That's why Paul said that you might know what is the hope of his calling. Because I can't communicate that to you. Because it's not generic. It's not universal. It's not like, well, here's some things that's just, no, no, it's you and God. And God made you. And that you might know what is the hope of his calling and the glory of his inheritance. And here's what you need to understand is that God doesn't make junk. So what he made when he made you, he made specific and on purpose and it is unique from everyone else in the world. Here's another truth about you, is that you have a call, an ability, and an open door to know God personally. You have a call, an ability, and an open door to know God personally. I read already Ephesians 1:17 that you might know him. And we know that. We talk about that all the time. I want you to think about who it is that we're called to know, that we have the ability to know. The Bible says that he is from everlasting to everlasting. The Bible says that he formed the earth with his word. The Bible says that he spans or measures the universe with his hand, something that we can't even measure with our most finest instrumentation. God just uses his hand. He's like, one, two, three. Yeah, it's about three hands. You know, that's, that's the God that we serve. He's the God that calls himself the I am because he will not be restricted into a box that defines him finitely. And thus he calls himself something that's infinite. We know that he is eternally existence. He's the God that always was. He's the God that is, and he's the God that is yet to be. He is an unlimited God. 
And because he's an unlimited God and he made us in his image, then that means that we have an unlimited capacity to know God greater and greater. I will know my wife to a certain degree and that will stop. But I have the ability to know an eternally existent, omniscient, omnipotent, eternal God to a level that will never end. I can continue to know him more and more. And my question to you is this morning, do you know him? Do you know him? Are you growing in the knowledge of him? Are you growing closer to him day by day? Are you pleading for God to reveal more of himself to you, to open your heart and your understanding and your personality, to understand and experience him in ways that you never have before? Are you capitalizing on the privilege, the call, and the ability, and the open door that you have to know God personally, to know God personally? And finally, a truth about yourself is that you have the choice to do whatever you want. You have the choice to do whatever you want. You can look at your life like a mountain, and you have the choice of what you want to do and how you want to scale that and how you want to live on that mountain that God gave to you. You can build a house just above sea level, and you can kind of live content And get by, not worry about a flood coming in. Just go high enough up that mountain to just do whatever. You could build a house there. You could clear out an area of trees somewhere and plant a garden and bear a little fruit and just do enough to get by. You can harvest some trees for some firewood and discover some of the resources. Or maybe you could even hire out the land for rent. You could give yourself to someone else and just kind of let them make money off you or use your life how they want to. You, you You really can do whatever you want. You could go, you could explore it. You could go up the easy part and down. But there's other things you can do too. You could really know what God gave you. You really know that mountain that is your life. You really could scale it. You could dig in it. You could discover it. You could search it out. But the choice is really yours. You can go as deep. You can go as far. You can know as much as you want to. But the choice really is up to you. Just like it was with Joseph. God didn't make them find that mineral. He told them it was there. They didn't want to believe. They didn't want to dig. They thought it could only come from man. And so they were content. They paid taxes to a foreign nation. They allowed illegals to possess. This is this is not supposed to it's coming out wrong. It's gonna turn this in a bad direction. It's not intended to go, you know. They shared their land, they shared themselves with someone that they didn't have to, that they weren't going to. What did Joshua say to the tribe of Joseph? He said this. He said, you shall possess this land. He says, you're gonna, whatever it is, you're going to possess it. This is yours. In other words, the borders aren't going to change. It is what it is, and you shall possess it. And that's true about you and I, is that you're going to possess the land that God has given to you. I believe that one of the greatest regrets that any person will have in heaven is that when we see all things clearly, as we will when we go there, is that we will see the opportunities and the, the, the things that were ours, the treasures that we missed, that we passed over, that we didn't capitalize on in our lives here on earth. We're going to see a multitude of inventions and innovations and problems that could have been solved, ministries that could have been birthed, connections with people that could have been made, books that could have been written, talents that were latent inside of us that never were exposed or cultivated or germinated or or, or fruit-bearing, jewels that God placed inside of us that were never found because we didn't dig, because we didn't discover, because it wasn't there. It took 4,000 years 
4,000 years for them to discover a treasure that they never knew they had. They complained that what they were given wasn't enough. You ever done that in your own life? Uh, I don't have the personality. I don't have the people skills. I wasn't born into money. I don't have the education. I didn't have the opportunity. The arm of the man is too strong. The system failed me. And we look at what we've been given and we say, "Ah, I can't, it's not enough. And so I need to ask you this morning, I need to ask you four questions to consider and think about and think through for your own life, as I am in mine. Is number one, do you believe God? Do you believe God when he says and he looks at you and he says that you're precious? When he says that he knew the secret things of your heart and of your life before they were ever formed? Do you believe him? Do you know him in that way? Or have you complained to God and said, nah, I got the short end of the stick, God. You, you didn't do anything for me. It's not mine to have. Do you believe God right now? Do you believe God when he says that there are things in you that are only yours and that it's precious? Question number two is, have you looked to God for counsel, for advice, to understand, to know, to search out, to have revealed to you what's there? Or have you simply relied upon the counsel, the advice, and the example of man as a model for what you can be? Well, I look around and I see people doing this, this, and this, and so I guess that's the menu. Some people are engineers, some people are inventors or entrepreneurs, some people are business people, some people work with their hands, you know, some people invest, you know, some people are artists, and, and we just look at the menu and we say, well, this is my options, this is, what, this is what it is, I mean, this is what people do, there's really no other thing, that's just looking at man, that's looking at Judah and saying, Judah, look at Judah's land, man, they got some, they got some springs, man, wish I had that land, we don't got nothing, not even a waterfall. Have you just looked to man? Are you selling yourself short? Have you accepted the status quo as the fullness of your inheritance in the Lord? Well, this is my life, so I guess this is what I've got. This is what it is, so therefore this must be what it is, or this is it. Are you living exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think? Does life bring that hope to you because of God, because of what he says, his promise? Question number three. Are you willing to explore, to dig, or to do the hard work. See, what were, their, what were their mistakes? They didn't believe God, right? They looked to man to supply what only God could give, and they weren't willing to do the hard work. And, and so the third question is, are you, are you? Are you willing to dig? Are you willing to explore the mountain of your life in the presence of a holy God who sees all things, who made all things, who knows all things, and to ask him and say, God, is there, is there more? Is there something more in me, Lord? Is there something in me that will bring you glory in a way that only I can, that no one else can? Or have you, and this is question number four, have you believed the prince of this world that whispers in your ear and in mine, and he says that your purpose is to rent out your time to someone else and eke out a meager living, living check to check, and just survive. Just survive. Just. What's the answer to these questions? It varies for all of us, but it boils down to one thing, and this is the hope. 
is that it's not too late. It's not too late. And here's why. Because if you have time left, then God can do with what you have left everything that's possible to be done. See, it took 4,000 years, right, for them to discover this tribe of Joseph. It took 4,000 years for them to discover a treasure that was there. But it's not too late. Because they're going to take it now, they're going to realize it now, and they're going to do something with it now. There was a widow in the days of Elisha where there was a famine, and nobody had any food. There was nothing. And Elisha had been fasting. He had been dwelling by a a, a little brook, and a little raven was bringing him scraps of food every day, and the raven stopped. And so God led Elijah to go to this uh, woman, this prophet up in Zarephath, and he asked her for some food. And she said, I got nothing. I got a tiny little bit of oil left and a tiny little bit of uh, flour. I was going to make one little muffin for me and my son, and we were going to die. And Elisha said, well, make something for me first, and then make something for you and your son. And she's like, you Christians, all about the money. (laughs) And so she sowed her flour and oil, and she did as the prophet said. And for the rest of her life, for the rest of the famine, rather, She never ran out of meal or oil. She had enough to last her the rest of the time. And that is our God. The same thing was repeated again later when a woman had just a little bit of oil in a jar and she was in great debt and the creditors were about to take her sons as slaves. And she went to Elisha and she said, hey, what am I going to do? My husband's dead. I've got just a little bit of oil and they want to take my sons. And so Elisha said, well, go and borrow as many jars and and, uh, vessels as you can and bring them to your house. And so she did to all her neighbors. She brings buckets and jars in. And he says, now pour out the little bit of oil and fill fill the jars. And so she starts pouring oil and, and she filled a jar and then another jar. And she filled every jar that was there. And it wasn't until the last jar tipped off the top that her thing ran out. And God illustrates this principle over and over and over again. He did it again with the loaves and the fishes. He did it again with the fact that Jesus did more in three and a half years than what anybody else has ever done in an entire lifetime. It doesn't matter what you have left. It matters that you have left. And if you're here this morning, you have time left. And if you have a little bit, God can do with a little bit the fullness of what it is possible to be done with all of it. And so it's not too late. It's not too late for us to believe God. It's not too late for us to look to him to discover, God, what did you make when you made me? And it's not too late for us to pick up a shovel if need be or get out our compass and start to explore and say, God, I'm willing to do the hard work, but I want to live for your purpose and not my own. So how do we do it? How do we do it? Like, how do we say, okay, I'm hearing what you're saying, and maybe after I think about this for a while, I'll believe it. But then what? It starts with prayer, because you can't know something from God without relating to God. You can't get information from him without communicating with him. My wife sent me this this week in the form of a text message. It says this. I'll share it with you. I don't know where she got it. I know she didn't write it. Maybe she did, actually. I don't think she did. It says that God's promises lie like giant corpses without life, only for decay and dust unless men appropriate and vivify these promises by earnest and prevailing prayer. Promise is like the unseen seed, the germ of life in it, 
But the soil and culture of prayer are necessary to germinate and culture the seed. Prayer is God's life-giving breath. God's purposes, God's purposes alone are always moving or move along the pathway made by prayer to their glorious designs. They are always moving to their high and brilliant ends, but the movement is along the way marked by unceasing prayer. Prayer is just conversation with God, walking with God. The breath of prayer in man is from God. And then this was her commentary. She said, it seems that prayer goes against our human nature. We must become as little children, beggars, needy. It is the opposite of self-sufficiency and goes against the pride of our nature. It is also not visible. Not only must we exercise patient endurance in something that we cannot see, but we must really trust the character and promise of God as our good father. Now, I have four scripture references that because technology failed, I'm not going to read to you, but you can write them down and look them up, and I'll tell you what they all say. They all say the same thing. Daniel 2.22, Job 28, verse 3, 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9, and 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And, and, and they all essentially say this, is that there are hidden, secret, deep things that only God knows what they are, only God knows where they are, and God is willing to reveal what those things are. And that is true of every single one of us. There's not one of us in this room that knows the full capacity of what God has placed inside of us. Not one. That last verse is that famous verse from Corinthians where Paul says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has perceived the things that God has prepared for those that loved him. But it says this, but he has revealed them to us by his spirit because the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. And so as we walk with God and fellowship with him, as we talk to him and lay our lives before him, as we pray and ask, God, what am I for? What do I exist for? What have you put in here? What jewels are waiting to be discovered? What seeds are yet latent and waiting to germinate and bloom and bear fruit? He is able to reveal what those things are, but it won't happen independent of him. It's not going to happen because we sweat and strain and think and brainstorm and educate or medicate, or whatever else we might do. It's going to come when we get alone with him and say, God, I need sensitivity to hear your voice. I need sensitivity to see invisible things clearly. I need sensitivity to perceive and realize what you're saying and how you're leading. I need clarity in my mind and in my heart to know what talents and gifts and graces and abilities and desires and opportunities and resources that you've given me. And only he can do that. Only he can make the combination of clarity and vision and understanding and opportunity and all that. Only he can do that. But he's willing to. He wants to. That's the gospel. That's the promise. That's what he says. So how does it happen? It starts with prayer. And then number two, it moves by action. Pick up a shovel. Cut down a tree. Begin to explore. Stop staying in the small territory of your mountain, your life that you've carved out and that you're comfortable in. Go look around and see what's there. It, it moves by action. George Washington Carver, he, he was praying one day. He was a devout Christian, and he was praying one day, and in his prayer, he was overwhelmed by the presence and the goodness of God, and he prayed in his prayer. He said, God, reveal to me the secrets of the universe. And then as soon as he did that, he felt grieved in his spirit 
because he felt like he asked for something too haughty. Like, here I am, a mere man asking God to reveal to me the secrets of this universe. And he said, God, I'm sorry. He immediately repented. He said, God, I'm sorry I even asked that. He said, I'm not worthy, nor am I able to understand the secrets of the universe. God, about all I could probably handle is if you were to reveal to me the secrets of the peanut. (laughs) And he literally prayed that. And do you know that George Washington Carver, who took that prayer seriously, that he prayed to God and believed in a God who could do all things, do you know that he discovered over 300 uses for the peanut, including peanut butter? God bless him. (laughs) <laughs> the natural kind, you know, the, you know, the one that gets the separation, you know, that one. <laughs> 300 uses. Why? Because he dug. He didn't just say, oh, God, reveal this to me and then go about his life. He asked, he believed, and then he searched and he found. It starts with prayer. It moves by action. So what's the application? I ask you this and then we're done. When's the last time you explored the land? that God gave you? What are your gifts? What are your talents? What are your likes and interests? What are your resources? Where would you like to be? Where would God lead you? What could he do with your life that he can't do? with? Have you ever stopped and even thought about it? It's not too late. What are your seamed restrictions? Oh, I can't because. What are the excuses that we make? I can't because... The system, the man, the government, you know. What are your seamed excuses and are they real? And if you lack vision, have you asked God for vision? If you lack drive, have you asked God for drive? If you lack energy, have you asked God for energy? He'll give you those things. Do you believe this morning that God has something for you? Do you believe it? That when he says great and precious promises, that when he says the glory that is in the saints, do you believe him? Or, no, no, we're just generic. We're just numbers. We're just bricks in the wall of the kingdom of God. And, you know, it's just, he's just, we're just manufactured. It's a factory. He doesn't know me. He doesn't care about me. More thoughts about you than the numbers of sand, the grains of sand that are on the seashore. David didn't say us. He said me. It's you. God has something for you. We get one life, guys. We get one life, one pass through this planet. We're like heaven. It's all about, it is all about heaven. We're going to be in heaven for eternity, but there's a reason he hasn't taken us there yet. Because there are things for us to discover, experience, and do in this life that we cannot do in the life that is to come. And we get one pass at it. And what things will lie latent in your hill or in your mountain, they will be discovered. Like Joshua said to Joseph, yeah, they're going to be discovered. But will it be when you stand before the Lord and he opens the contents and he says, look what I put in here. What gemstone is laid up in you somewhere, for you somewhere that's just waiting to come forward? My message to you this morning is this. It's not too late. It's not too late. Therefore, ever since I heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have to all the saints... I cease not to pray for you and to make mention of you in my prayers that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him that you might know what is the hope of his calling and what is the glory of his inheritance in the saints. May God show us. 
may we live large. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so that you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback. So if you would, leave a review in iTunes or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.